You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming and achieving success in multifamily real estate and even some of them doing it while active duty and really dig into their lessons learned as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Hey, what's going on learners and welcome to another lessons in real estate show and it's monday which means we're bringing you another pci teaches and this is part eight of our multi-part series on underwriting and the last week we talked a lot about the uh, income sources that you can expect to see uh, on a rent roll or a PL, uh, for example or an operating memorandum if that's what's provided to you and this week we're really going to dig deeper into the uh, actual underwriting process using a deal analyzer so um, in this example we're going to be using the syndicated deal analyzer by michael blanc because it just happens to be the one i use most often and so it happens to be the one that i'm most familiar with but a few episodes ago we uh, talked about some different methods or some um, different options for other deal analyzers that you can use if that's what you so desire uh, but for this example, and as I'm walking through and talking through a lot of these these aspects, uh, we will break it down into uh, into parts by using the syndicated deal analyzer. And this first part here, kind of you know, like actual underwriting using a deal analyzer, is going to be specifically inputting your actual um, you, your uh, inputting your actuals. And by inputting your actuals, I mean uh, taking the data that's actually provided to you by the broker and uh, or and or by the seller and inputting that into your your uh, deal analyzer and what i mean by actuals is the data from the rent roll and the pnl and uh you know any um any other information that's going to add to your um uh, actual numbers for income actual numbers for expenses actual numbers for noi um things of that nature and uh that should be noted that these are not performance for pro forma numbers. These are not uh, broker numbers. These should be the exact numbers that the property is already producing. So if you see something within the operating memorandum or you see something from a broker that says pro forma, I would be very suspect on using that numbers 
as your actual numbers when you're evaluating a deal. I would expect to see the actual rent roll and the actual uh, P&L uh, from the seller rather than just what the, what the broker provides to you. And they may be the same and they may be different, but in my opinion and my experience, poor forma is also another word for lies. And uh, coming from a broker, you know, you got to understand that they are trying to sell this property uh, one to the best uh, seller so that they're not uh, are the sorry to the best buyer so that they're not wasting their time by spending, you know, two to three months courting these, uh, these sellers and buyers and that, you know, the sale doesn't end up happening and now they've lost out and potentially lost out on their seller. But also they want to make sure that they're making the most amount of money, not only for themselves and their own self-interest, but also for their seller. So just understand that pro forma is, uh, should not be taken at, at face value. So let's get into the underwriting part. So I have my Michael Blanc's syndicated deal analyzer up here, and I'm just going to start inputting the uh, uh, different values in here uh, using um, the rent roll and the PL. So the first thing I'm going to look at is what the gross potential income is, and we're just going to make this up to be, um, I don't know, $1.5 million because the numbers are round. And uh, within the deal analyzer, it's already showing me a 10% vacancy, which if you... Um, if you listen to the thumb rules that we talked about in a few episodes ago, you'll see that uh, some of the one of the thumb rules I use for vacancy is either 10% or the actual vacancy, whatever is higher. And uh, that's pretty standard across any market that you're going to see. It's 10%. Um, but again, use 10% or whatever is higher if the actuals are higher. So if you're seeing a 12, 15% economic vacancy, then go with those numbers. It's more conservative that way. Uh, so the input, the vacancy is already in there, and we're looking at, uh, you know, uh, concessions, loss of lease, bad debt. Uh, we can throw it in at, you know, three percent. It's probably pretty, pretty common there. So the gross potential income uh, is 1.5 million after the vacancy and the concessions and loss of lease and bad debt. We're actually getting 1.3 uh, million in effective gross income. And then some other income, uh, there's a column to be able to input other income, which could be laundry, could be late fees, could be uh, really anything that's not rental income that is adding to your total income. But we're going to leave that blank for now. And we got a total net income of $1.3 million. And uh, you should remember that number and write it down because it's going to um, make running the rest of these numbers uh, that much easier. So now we're going to get into the actual expenses. So real estate taxes, where can you find that? Well, you can find that either from the, uh, the uh, seller themselves, which depending on how sophisticated the seller is, they may or may not include uh, real estate taxes or insurance as uh, expenses on their P&L. Um, and most often they're not, they're not going to, definitely not going to include their debt service because that's not really relevant to you because uh, it's not an operating expense. But uh, in case that the real estate taxes are not provided for you, you can go and find those on the county tax assessor website. It's most often the, the best place to look. Um, you may be able to get that uh, from the broker as well if they have that information or they have specific tax returns that they can provide to you. Uh, but either way, real estate taxes are, uh, uh, are one of the expenses. First expense you should look at. Insurance. Insurance is... Um, one of those things that should be included again on your expenses uh, or should be included on the PL. Uh, but in case it's not, you can ask for their, the actual insurance uh, policy from the, uh, from the seller or from the broker, or you can just get numbers uh, plugged in there. But in either case, if you don't have 
any numbers to plug in for insurance, a good thumb rule to use is point uh, is seven percent of the sales price. I'm sorry, it's point zero zero seven percent of the sales price, or point seven percent of sales price. Uh, and the real estate taxes, if you don't have any real estate taxes or you can't find it online, uh, a good rule of thumb is 0.01% or is 0.01 of the sales price or 1% of the sales price. And at, that is a pretty good estimate, uh, especially if you're going to be buying the property at a much higher uh, basis than what the current assessed value is. Most likely the taxes are going to be higher for you than they are for the uh, currently for the seller, just based off of the higher purchase price, most likely. Um, so that's, that is big lesson learned. I would, I would definitely take a look at what the taxes are and what you can expect the future taxes to be and just take the, the larger value of the, of the two. Uh, another expense you should look at are the contract services. So these are going to be things like, um, you know, pest control, uh, you know, if you have a cleaning service that comes in, uh, if you have any contracts with, uh, you know, a laundry company that you pay so often. Um, but again, those should be on the PNL. But if not, you can uh, plug in the thumb rule of $200 per unit per year. It's a pretty good estimate of contract services. Uh, the next few we're going to get into are utilities. And the first one is trash removal. Uh, trash removal is may or may not be covered by the landlord. Most often is. And excuse me, uh, you can expect to either pull that from the PL or uh, plug in $200 per unit um, per year. Uh, electric, again, may or may not be paid for by the owner. Most often it's paid for by the, uh, by the individuals or the tenants, um, and the owner just pays for uh, you know, common space areas, uh, electricity. Uh, but if you can't find the numbers for that, you can um, expect $100 per unit for the common areas um, and, and price there. Gas may or may not actually be an expense in the area, depending on if you're if you're in the area that has a lot of abundance of natural gas for heating purposes, for example. Uh, but if the owner pays for that, it may be $100 per unit per um, per year, or it could, or sorry, per month, or it could be um, completely paid for by the tenants. Again, pull that information from the PNL. And then finally, water and sewer most oftenly are charged to the owner. Um, depending on how new the building is, most of them are, uh, are cost prohibitive from doing submetering, or it just doesn't, it just, it, the system's not aligned to do submetering uh, based off of the, how the piping and all that is, is laid out. Uh, but if you don't have an actual number for that, which is uh, water and sewer is probably one of the most, if not the most expensive a utility that you're going to find, uh, depending on if it's paid for or not by the owner. Uh, but if you don't have numbers for that, you can plug in $400 per unit per uh, year for that. I'm sorry, per month for that. Uh, all right, so those are utilities. Some other uh, expenses you can expect to see. Um, bigger expenses are going to be the management fee. So that's really going to depend on um, the management company that the tenant or the um, owner is using, and that may be themselves. So they may be paying themselves a small management fee, you know, of one to two to three percent, or that may be an actual management company. And um, the management fee and the payroll costs are really going to be dependent on how large the property is. So if you're talking, you know, 10, 20, 30 units, maybe up to 40, uh, you're probably not going to have a leasing op office or someone that's actually on payroll or like a maintenance guy on payroll. Um, it's most likely going to be, you know, uh, a property management company that is not actually on site. So in that case, your management fee is most likely going to go up because there's not actually someone there to constantly take care of the property or at least, um, be there during uh, normal uh, business hours. 
So your management fees can range anywhere from three to you know eight percent, um, depending on the uh, the company that you decide to use. But I would go with the man uh, in terms of the management fee. I would go with uh, the more conservative option. So whatever numbers you're being quoted by your property management company for for this property, or what act or or the actual management fee um, expense numbers from the PNL uh, from the seller. So whatever is uh, is more is more expensive or a higher percentage, I would go with that number to be conservative. And then repairs and maintenance. Uh, this is really going to vary depending on the property, how old it is. Uh, you know, if there's a lot of issues and they if they've had capex completed uh, recently. But the repairs and maintenance can run really anywhere from like ten to twenty percent. I would say ten percent is is uh, at the least you should go when estimating that amount. Um, or, or, you know, plugging in the numbers, but if you don't have any actual numbers in terms of repairs or maintenance, or it's, um, it, sh it should be provided to you on the PNL or by the seller himself. But if you don't have any numbers for there, I would, you know, estimate anywhere from 10 to 20% ex expenses, um, there. Uh, and then the last few are really going to just kind of be some miscellaneous ones. So legal costs, um, those can be, you know, a hundred, $150 per unit per year, depending on the, uh, the, um, class of the property. If you have a class D property, you're probably gonna have a lot more legal issues like evictions than if you're dealing with the class A property. Um, just kind of the nature of the beast there. And then general admin, if you have an office, you may be paying for things like, uh, you know, furniture, uh, office furniture, rental, um, phone bills, internet bills, uh, you know, things of that nature, just kind of everyday office supplies uh, and, and uh, administrative costs there. So that's really going to vary, but yeah, it really depends on, uh, you know, if there's actually anyone on site, but I would say, you know, I'd throw a few percentage points in there, um, depending, or just throw in what the actual numbers are from the, some, from the seller. And then the last one that a lot of people don't really think about is, uh, the deposit to replacement reserve. Now, this is not something that you're going to typically see on the PNL because it's not really an operating, uh, expense. It's actually, um, more owner kind of, uh, owner discretion if it's if they're actually going to set aside money uh in replacement reserves but the replacement reserves is is uh like your capex budget essentially so you know that things are going to wear down you know that the acs are going to have to be replaced you know that um you know the roof is eventually going to have to be replaced so instead of you know draining all that cash flow and putting back money back in your pocket you can say uh, put aside a certain number of uh, uh cash per month uh per unit to uh, save up for those rainy days when you're going to have to actually replace uh, the AC units, you're going to actually have to replace the roof and so on and so forth, or, you know, the parking lot, repave it, you know, whatever. But uh, depending on how old the property is, is really going to depend on how much you're comfortable in, and obviously the individuals and their level of tolerance, but uh, how old the property is, is probably one of the biggest factors and how much you're going to put aside for replacement reserves. And I would say it's anywhere from 200 to $400 per unit per year. Should how much you should be how much you should be putting aside um, to uh, uh, for replacement reserves. And again, that's not something you're necessarily see on the PNL, but it should be something that you're factoring into your expenses uh, when you're uh, plugging in and inputting actuals. So those are the major expenses you're going to see. You may also have turnover costs in there, but um, you know that's normally included then in, in repairs and maintenance. But if you really want to include it in there, you can you can throw those numbers in there as well. Um, so once we get all that tallied and, and uh, totaled up, we're going to see that uh, the expenses are going to be, um, 
I'm going to be conservative here and just throw it in at 50%. So our total expenses off of $1.305 million is $652,500 in total expenses, which means that we get a net operating income of $652,500, which makes sense to get this half and half. And um, one last thing on the expenses. Um, this is honestly one of the most time-consuming things, uh, especially if you have uh, or you're dealing with an unsophisticated seller who doesn't have their books, you know, in a correct manner, or God forbid, they're like handwriting their ledgers. Um, inputting the expenses and the income is probably one of the most time-consuming things. So you're going to have to add numbers. You're going to have to take away numbers. You're going to have to make sure that you, you know, everything adds up. You're gonna to have to make sure that you know, um, you know, they're not underestimating things. That they're actually, or that you're not having kind of seasonal uh, rate changes for utilities, for example. If you're seeing, um, you know, a typical gas amount that is much higher in winter, which you would expect because it's gonna be using a lot more heat, um, or you wouldn't expect to see, uh, you know, repairs and maintenance go up at certain times of the year. Because maybe in summer the owner you know likes to do a lot more repairs for because it's summer and it's nice and they don't have to worry about rain or snow or anything. So those are kind of some trends you should uh, you should kind of take note of when you are uh, when you're looking at those expenses because most likely if they're happening under you uh, in terms of especially during the uh, for utilities and most likely going to happen uh, or if they're happening under the seller they're most likely going to happen under you as well. So uh, again, we get a net operating income of $652,500. And for a, uh, let's call it, uh, or, sorry, for the syndicated deal analyzer here, uh, one thing that is particularly useful is you can see what your debt service is going to be based off of a certain interest rate and based off of a certain amortization. And when I input the debt service here, I typically look at what interest rates are doing right now in this area. And um, you really need to know the type of property to see what type of lending you're going to be able to get on it. For example, if you're trying to buy a property that has, you know, occupancy sitting at 80% or less, you know, it's a distressed property, it's in a rough neighborhood, you, the chances that you'll get a Fannie Freddie loan are pretty, probably pretty small, unless you're able to work with the owner over, you know, to get those numbers up to where they need to be, which for Fannie and Freddie, the thumb rule, uh, or the saying is 90% uh, occupancy for at least 90 days. So, for example, if you don't meet those requirements, you may have to get a bridge loan. You may have to go with hard money lender. You know, there's a number of different options uh, or, or bank loans. There's a number of different options uh, to, um, you know, lending options to be able to go with. But that's really going to change what your interest rate is looking like as well as your amortization as well. So what I typically go with is, uh, you know, lately is, a, is for an interest rate is anywhere from 4 to 5%. I think that's... Uh, pretty even with the interest rates as low as they are right now i think that's pretty safe to uh, to sit it around there depending and it's, again it's going to depend if you're using a bridge loan if you're using a fannie freddie um i would just kind of keep your ear to the ground to see what other people are underwriting right now or what brokers are underwriting right now because that's probably going to give you a good indication or straight up ask your lender what kind of rates you can expect to get off of this property and then the amortization i typically go with 25 years because this means you're going to end up having more debt service and you know, if you end up getting 30 years amortization on your, on your, from your lender, it uh, ends up being a pleasant surprise. I'll just say that. So the debt services is there. You'll see what your cash flow is going to look like after debt service, as well as uh, what the cap rate is that you're currently buying at. 
and what the cash on cash return is going to be, debt coverage ratio, all of that. So uh, let's say that we are buying this property for a six and a half cap, which comes out to be, uh, you know, about $9,600. $9, so let's plug that in, $9,600,000. So we are sitting at a cap rate of 6.8. You know, that's, that's roughly, uh, that's, that's good enough there. So one of the things that's great about the, um, the syndicated deal analyzer from Michael Blanc is it also gives you what the property values should be given a range of cap rates. So if you're looking, if, you know, if it's advertised as a five and a half cap rate and uh, you think it's really more like a six and a half cap rate, well, you can offer the price that sits right in the middle there, or you think it's more of like a six and a 6.8% cap rate based off of you know, your talks with other brokers, other investors, you know, that kind of, of, uh, of research. So, this is where we're going to end this talk. Uh, but the Michael Blanc um, syndicated deal analyzer has you know a lot more details in it uh, outside of that. At the top, uh, when you're looking at the scenarios page, you can look at you can plug in the asking price, the purchase price, and the number of units. You can see what the price per unit breaks down to be. You can even plug in things like what your down payment percentage is going to be. You know, 20, 25, 30 percent. Uh, and how much that's going to be in terms of the actual down payment, what your loan balance is going to be, and, and ultimately how much capital you're going to have to raise if you're doing a syndication. So that is the end of this episode for inputting actuals. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about how to actually evaluate a, a, uh, the purchase price that makes sense for you based off of the projected that you, you know, the projected rent you think you can get, if there's any additional income that you can think you can garner or, you know, uh, lowering any expenses along the way. So hope you guys have enjoyed this and we'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate Show. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate Show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through Learn and Teach segments. And listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate Show.